Welcome to this talk from the Canon Do Zen Meditation Center. Located in Mountain View, California, Canon Do's meditation practice is open to the public. For more information or to get in touch with us, you can visit our website at canondo.org. That's K A N N O N D O.org. Well, thank you and good night, good evening, hello. And I'm going to try and speak loudly, but I have had uh, a lot of bronchial things in the last couple of weeks, so I'm going to warn you that I may go soft. And so just put your finger up. Uh, I think people online can hear me. Yeah, it's great to see you. I see some of you in the mornings online and uh, to be in the presence, both virtual and in person, is a real treat. And to be here with my friend Tova, who drove down with me, is also really a blessing. Thank you, Tova. So let's begin this evening with the words from the Dhammapada. All that we are is the result of our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. If a person speaks with a harmful thought, trouble follows them as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. If a person speaks or acts with a harmonious thought, happiness follows them as their own shadow, never leaving. What are our thoughts these days? What are the images and the stories we carry in our minds and our hearts? It's been tough. And coming together like this to hear the Dharma is a way to give ourselves some refuge, some medicine and to consider and share the thoughts we have, the imaginings, the ideas that are shaping our world. So as I was envisioning coming here tonight, knowing that I would be starting with a land acknowledgement, I was trying to imagine who were the beings who lived in this place? Who were the original people here? So as I do now at the start of every Dharma talk, I do some kind of research into the history and the culture of the indigenous people, those who inhabited this land. And I really try not to just repeat some stale line that's the same every time but out of respect and recognition of the ancestors and of the contemporary Native people who live here today. I try to bring it alive.
The Moekma Ohlone tribe is the largest group of several groups in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm sure you all already know about them, but I'll say a little bit about what I learned. They were and are hunter-gatherer people. I know some of them, actually, who, who live more up towards the Berkeley area. They are great um, gatherers of acorns because uh, a great part of their diet are crushed acorns. And the ancestors lived also on nuts and grass seed and berries and trapped fish and game. They lived in dome-shaped houses covered in tule. You probably know what that is. It's a sort of long grass. Um, gets very crisp uh, after it's dried. And they also crafted their canoes out of tule. And there are people who are building tule canoes these days and putting them out into the bay and um, catching fish, enjoying the indigenous ways that they've enjoyed for centuries. The Moekma Ohlone people also practiced a religion that's called the Kuksu religion, which uh, was heavily involved with different rites of passage and sacred medicine ceremonies. And you probably know that the tribe at this point has not ever been recognized federally, that they are still trying to prove that they existed. They were colonized as part of the mission Santa Clara de Assis in 1777. And the land that is now this place, Mountain View, was used as pasture for sheep and cattle intended by those Indians. But they themselves were not sheep herders. They were not people who lived with animals. So their culture was changed. They adapted. And for some, they didn't make it. I looked a little further into the history and I came away with a, I don't know where this reference came from originally, but it directed me to a place called the Pear Theater, which is here, I think, in Mountain View. Yes. Um, and they had a little land acknowledgement on their website that said, we recognize that land acknowledgement is itself only a small gesture. It's only through continued action that we will raise awareness of Native sovereignty, equitable rights, and reconciliation. The land was stolen from the Moakwa, from the Ohlone, from the Tamian tribes. I thought that was interesting, a movie theater having that on their website. And they went on to talk about themselves, saying that they were founded with a mission to offer theater that challenges our community to see all aspects of our world fully, with intellectually stimulating, emotionally powerful, professional productions. We're dedicated to engaging diverse voices at our programs and to foster an inclusive environment 
in all aspects of our work as artists, staff, volunteers, and audiences. So all that we are is the result of our thoughts. With our thoughts and our images, our stories, we make the world. We sit here tonight in this community, in a history and a presence. Moekma, Ohlone, Mission Santa Clara, Mountain View, Branching Streams, San Francisco Zen Center, and Canandoe. In person, and virtually stretching thousands of miles and thousands of years. And we bring together all of our geographies, all of our lineages, our cultural histories, our spiritual families, our language groups, our ethnicities, our national identities, our families, our neighborhoods, our friends. Together, the etymology of the word in the Old English is togadere, to be present in one place, in a group, an accumulated mass. And also from the Proto-Germanic, goduri, to unite, join, fit, to be a body. So here we are, an accumulated mass, joined in a body, together. Remembering, feeling the value of being together in person after so many years of not being in person and feeling how lucky we are that we can connect virtually. Think what the pandemic would have been like if we had not had Zoom. How lonely, how isolated we would have been. So together, heart of our practice, togetherness, non-difference. It's the fourth of Dogen's four methods of guidance of a bodhisattva starts with generosity and then with kind speech and with beneficial action and then identity action. And identity action means togetherness. A bodhisattva, the qualities include our togetherness. So at Everyday Zen, and also at the Heart of Compassion Sangha, which I teach in Point Reyes, we have been deep in our togetherness, our kinship, studying a book by David Hinton called Wild Earth, Wild Mind, and also a Dogen fascicle, Keisei Sanshoku, the sound of the streams, the shape of the mountains, 
experiencing what we called dharma climate or climate dharma. And what we began to realize was that we wanted to be together to tell each other what we loved, to tell each other what was important. So there are ways in which now, especially, we need to share this kind of work, this kind of being in our stories, in our words, in the way we are imagining. And I felt this in our branching streams lineage, our instinctive need for togetherness. When I saw the sponsored online event the other night, leaning towards the light, which came from San Francisco Zen Center. I don't know if anyone saw it. It was called A Poetic Embrace of Nature. And Norman was there as the host for several poets, Naomi Shihab Nye, Danusha Lamary, Janine Latine, Tess Taylor, Mark Doty, and Jane Hirschfield. And they all read poems, their own and poems of others, all about gardens. The lusciousness, not only of the words, but of the images. And the lusciousness, the beauty of these poets' faces just reached right through the screen. I was telling Tova on the way down that I was really tickled watching Norman, who as the host was also supposed to sell the book. And because most of you have seen Norman, you know he's a rather serious, stoic person at times. There he was hawking this book, holding it open and saying, look, look at the beautiful pictures. And he takes the ribbon, it's the bookmark. And look, it has a bookmark, a beautiful ribbon that you too can have as a gift for your friend for any of the holidays coming up. I thought to myself, Norman, where did this come from? From him saying that, yes. <laughs> so Chubb so is saying um, that all of the signed copies of the book were sold from the bookstore because of Norman's big hype. And I wrote him the next morning and said, you know, if you ever decide not to be a Zen teacher anymore, you've got another career. You could really be a bookseller. He was so funny. But it was that togetherness and that profession of love that we were all involved in that made it a special evening. The most special part for me that night was that Danusha Lamaris, a wonderful poet from Santa Clara, I'm sorry, Santa Cruz, told the audience a little story before she read. She was asking Koshin Paley Ellison of the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, how do we tend the garden of our heart these days? Please tell me. And Koshin replied, I let my heart break. So allowing our heart to break, not bypassing or trying to prevent the pain, feels real. It really feels real. A feeling of practice, of building trust in ourselves and others to be steadfast, 
to sit together, identifying not as a single heart breaking, but allowing our hearts to break as one together. Finding ways to bring our realness of practice as we face into these really hard days. During these months of escalating violent conflicts, and I want to just set the record straight that there is not just one more or two wars, there are 33 major declared conflicts in the world right now. Terrorist insurgencies, there are drug wars, there are major land grabs, uh, ethnic crises. There are a lot of things going on that are really horrendous and scary and deeply, deeply troubling. And we have huge weather systems mysteriously manifesting fires, winds, floods. We know the whole litany. And we think to ourselves, what can I do about them? What can I do? I can't do anything. I'm just a little me. It's the together part. It's the answer. Come together. And so during that study of the time with Zen, I'm sorry, with Everyday Zen and with um, Heart of Compassion Zen, somehow we found our ways to be together, two sanghas doing different things and different nights and days, but we began to do something together that really sparked our imagination. We began to write and sing praise songs. We began to write odes, and we were especially inspired by this ode for Sharon Olds. She got us going on this sort of ode to the earth, ode to what we loved about Mother Earth. She says, Dear Dirt, I'm sorry I slighted you. I thought you were only the background for the leading characters, for the plants and animals and human animals. As if, it's as if I had loved only the stars and not the sky which gave them space in which to shine. Subtle, various, sensitive. You are the skin of our terrain. You are our democracy. And when I understood I had never honored you as a living equal, I was ashamed of myself, as if I had not recognized who looked so different from me. But now I can see us all made of the same basic materials, cousins of that first exploding from nothing, our intricate equation together. Oh, dirt, help us find ways to serve your life. You who have brought us forth and fed us and who at the end will take us in.
cousins of the first exploding from nothing. That's us. And so we turned our thoughts and our sangha meetings and turned our pens to sharing how we cherished the rain, the mycelium, the ants, the birds, the grandchildren, the neighbor, the ancestor, the clouds. We turn towards poetry, we turn towards creative, beautiful imagination, the generative power of creativity. And what we know is we're very familiar with our world's painful, overarching narrative these days of catastrophe and dysfunction. And yes, it's very real, but it's not the whole story. There's also an ordinary and abundant reality of things that are going right. And I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna about it, but it's really a time of learning, of growth, of evolution and breakthrough. There are so many wise and graceful voices in our world, everyday people working with forms that are broken with a world in pain, with institutions that don't make sense anymore, and finding ways to be of service, to have an edifying effect on the people around them, to be healers in so many forms, modeling, advancing, quietly, powerfully. There are many, many people rising to the best of our humanity, and we are really capable of beauty and joy and dignity, imagining the world, knowing that our thoughts make that world. David Hinton told us, we love this world, this living planet. We do, we love this world, and we feel joy when it thrives and grief when it suffers. Before intention and choice, before ideas and understanding and everything we know about ourselves, we really love this world around us. We wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be studying the Dharma if that were not true. So what are our thoughts these days? What are your thoughts these days? What are the images and the stories we're carrying? Do we feel the kinship? Do we tell stories of the kinship? We did tonight at dinner, before coming, start to tell some stories about ourselves. We exchanged some about our children, about our, our pets, we sit together. We wake up together with images, with stories. We know there are massacres in the world. We know that there are loss of glaciers, widening deserts, 
drying farmlands. And yet, we sit together, an accumulated mass, uniting. We also sit together, falling apart, feeling, realizing, experiencing, knowing there is much that we are breaking open in these hearts of ours. And because of social taboos, we're often told, don't show your despair. Numb yourself psychically. But we know that that impedes our sitting, impedes our waking up. And the energy expended in pushing down despair is diverted from more crucial uses. We know it depletes our resilience and that imagination is needed for fresh ideas, visions, and strategies. We sit together. We let our hearts break open. Into what? Into those new visions, those new strategies, new friendships. It's a good thing to realize that falling apart is not such a bad thing. It's essential to transformation. I remember the words of Joanna Macy telling us, what disintegrates in periods of rapid transformation is not the self, but its defenses and assumptions. Self-protection restricts vision and movement like a suit of armor, making it harder to adapt. Going to pieces, however uncomfortable, can open us up to new perceptions, new data, new responses. She goes on to talk about speaking the truth about ourselves, the thing that makes us the most vulnerable. Speaking the truth of our anguish for the world brings down the walls between us brings us into non-separation, draws us into deep solidarity. And that solidarity is all the more real for the uncertainty we face. So acknowledging the despair involves nothing more mysterious than telling the truth about what we see and know and feel is happening in our world. When we stop distracting ourselves with all our opinions, with all our devices, our computers and our phones and our busyness, all of us trying to figure out our chances of success or failure, then, then when we stop distracting ourselves, our hearts and minds are liberated into the present moment. the moment becomes alive, charged with possibilities, a generative moment, the moment where the bookseller's opening the book and saying, buy me. <laughs> so let's ask ourselves, what are we giving our energy to these days? 
What kindness could we reconnect with at this time? In a scientific study, positive physiological and psychological effects on people who practice gratitude actively. One of the things the scientists named that really shifted things for people was establishing a habit of what they called taking in the good. Every time you take in the good, you're taking seriously the lifeblood, the raw materials of the generative story of our time. You're stepping onto a landscape more fully with your imagination and with your presence. And in doing so, you make the generative possibilities more visible, more real. What is the good? I see it every day when we do our zazen. Our breathing in and breathing out. Wandering and wondering. Unknowing not evaluating ourselves, not cluttering up our experience with any good-bad dualities, just opening ourselves to new ways to be together. There's a story that I read the other day in the New York Times a story that struck me as a beautiful response to war. One that made me feel proud of our country, which is not always so easy these days. The confusion, the difficulty people are having in connecting. The story said this, 10,000 stems of carnations arrived by the wheelbarrow. Blood red, pink, orange, and yellow laid on the steps at the base of the Capitol against a clear blue sky. Can anybody else read this story? Do you know this story? I hadn't. Each stem was meant to represent a civilian life lost so far in the Israel-Hamas war. It was meant to encompass Israeli and Palestinian people alike. They were brought over by more than 100 congressional staff members, all wearing masks to obscure their identities for a walkout last week honoring civilians killed in the conflict, calling for a ceasefire and the release of more than 200 hostages. In their statement, they said, we are congressional staffers on Capitol Hill, but we are no longer comfortable staying silent. Our constituents are pleading for a ceasefire, and we are the staffers answering their calls. Most of our bosses on Capitol Hill are not listening to the people they represent. We demand our leaders to speak up. We want immediate de-escalation now. We present these flowers to mark this time and these losses. So when I heard the story, read the story, I envisioned how these carnations were spread out on the Capitol steps. And I thought, how brave. And I thought how imaginative it was. 
how somebody thought, let's offer beauty for pain. Let's demonstrate our kinship, our standing together. Let's offer the dignity and beauty of flowers, of carnations, for life. So as we look at our stories, which ones are giving us life? Which ones are powerful? The ones where gardens are growing, the ones where we see ourselves in the best of our humanity. In the words of a wonderful friend of mine and others named Francis Weller, a man who deals with lots of people who are in grief, he says, we're not meant to live shallow lives pocked by meaningless routines and secondary satisfactions of happy hour. We are the inheritors of an amazing lineage, rippling with memories of life lived intimately with bison, gazelle, raven, night sky. We're designed to encounter this life with amazement and wonder, not resignation and endurance. This is at the very heart of our grief and sorrow these days. The dream of full-throated living woven into our very being cannot be forgotten and neglected. It cannot be replaced by a fiction of productivity and material gain. Every sorrow we carry extends from the absence of what we require to stay engaged in this one wild and precious life. Grief offers us a trail leading back to the vitality that's our birthright. When we fully honor our many losses, our lives become more fully able. Are fully able to embody the joy that aches to leap from our hearts into the shimmering world. So dreams of full-throated living, sharing our daily life intimately with bison, gazelle, raven, those have likely been sidelined for most of us at this time. The night sky, however, usually never fails to offer wonder and awe. And I urge all of us to go out and look into the night sky and to feel that wonder and to see those stars and knowing they are us, they are us and we are them together, not different. We are the inheritors of an amazing lineage, this practice. We're designed to encounter this life with amazement, with wonder, to go beyond the impossible, to imagine it, to make with our thoughts a beautiful world, 
where everything is changing. The Dhammapada says everything rising and passing away. When we know this, when we realize this, we are freed from sorrow. This is the shining path. There's no separate self to suffer. This is the path of clarity. We can sit and dance and imagine, offering the strength and resilience of our breaking heart, our practice in the world. Hating can never overcome hatred. Only love can bring the end of hating. This is the eternal law. So if you would, turn to the person next to you. Just take five minutes, and I'll try and do this online as well. Just take five minutes, each person, tell a little generative story from your life. What's happening to you now? What can you bring forward? This talk was brought to you by the Canando Zen Meditation Center in Mountain View, California. For more information or to support this podcast, go to canando.org. That's K-A-N-N-O-N-D-O dot O-R-G.